As they're finding uh, where they will spend the remainder of this service, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles where where we will spend the remainder of our service together. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Have you said good morning to somebody else yet this morning? I hope you have. I think you've done a good job saying hi to people. As you're opening your Bibles, uh, we will stay, again, we'll stay in the, mostly in the Gospel of Matthew today. We've been uh, in this passage, and we, will, uh, we have one more week to continue this section in, uh, of the Sermon on the Mount, which will conclude at the end of five, and we'll start a new section in July, uh, chapter six, and it'll be terrific. This, heads up, what we've been studying is the, the character of righteousness. What does righteousness look like? Jesus is exemplifying. He's teaching about what real righteousness looks like. He set it up in verse 17, and he's going to conclude in verse 48. So that's the the context of where we are. Righteousness, speaking of righteousness, righteousness is scarce or even absent in a world where everyone is trying to get even. What I mean by getting even is not letting anyone get one up on you or get one over on you or never letting an insult or an affront or an offense remain without an equal or greater reaction. Getting even can even mean that we're, we're, we just want to make sure that we stay even. I mean, that no one's going to get more from me than I got from them. My golly. Neither of those are righteous attitudes. Righteousness does not have a chip on its shoulder, and it does not keep its dukes halfway up. Anybody ever watch that 1980s Robin Williams Popeye movie? Robin, he's always, why you got to? He's always, he's always why I ought to. Everything, anybody even walked across his face. And while Popeye's cute, that's not righteous. Righteousness does not get even, it gives more. Now we find ourselves in the book of Matthew. Let's look, take a look at Jesus now is teaching his disciples about real righteousness. Let's pick it up at verse 38. We're entering now the fifth example. Jesus has given several examples of righteousness, calling upon the Old Testament passage, and then exemplifying the, what it really means, the real intent of the law, and how he fulfills it and leads us into it. All right, let me read this, and then we'll talk a little about it before we talk about it. So let's stay with me. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Has anybody in this room never heard that? So Jesus could really say that all to us, right? He could say, you've heard it said. You could oh, yeah, Jesus, I heard it. I've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Everybody heard that? All right. But I say to you, here's Jesus, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. I know right now, as I'm reading this, several things are happening. Some of you are like, yep, I've heard this, I know this, I know what he's going to say, and you're getting out your phone to check social media and uh, to change the channel while we're talking. Others are like, I don't like this passage, I'm already hardening my heart and don't want to hear it. (laughs) I know there's lots of things in the room. All I'm going to ask you to do is take a deep breath and lean in freshly to this passage, and let's 
let's see if we can't hear something more substantive than maybe what we're more than what we're familiar with. Okay? Here we go. If someone slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Uh, whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Finally, the last verse, give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Thank you, Lord, for the scriptures. Thank you in particular for these words in red. May we be totally transformed by them again this morning. And if you want that, someone say amen. amen. Now, sometimes this passage that we just read, uh, as many of them, because they're so familiar and because they've been used, and, and in this particular one, this one's very familiar, and this particular passage has, in some uh, historical uses, been interpreted and implied and used as a teaching, a separate teaching on Christian pacifism. We've taken this, and I will say, oh gosh, people that I respect, whose faith I respect, wonderful people that I have sat next to in doctoral seminars, uh, embrace this deeply. So I would never want to uh, disrespect their faith, but I would respect, I will respectfully say, I don't agree with how you've come at this passage. I, I have no interest today in, 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 in debating the, the substance of pacifism. I just want to say that this passage, I don't believe, is intended to address it. It's not intended to address pacifism or war or armed services or whether you should, you know, whatever, because it's, that's not the context. Remember, con text without context is pretext. We, we, we lose the point. And in particular, because this passage... Because this passage as relegated to, oh, Christian pacifism. We, we read this, oh, turn the other cheek. Oh, I know that. That means I'm not supposed to do stuff. Somebody does stuff. And, and then we stop listening. And when we stop listening, we missed something more powerful, more challenging. Let me say it to you this way, kind of an overly, overly simplified problem here. If I relegate this passage to, oh, this means I'm not supposed to fight in a war or have a gun or have a sword, then... Then I, then I think, great, I'll just put away my, my sword, and I'm righteous. I got it. I can check, check this off. Oh, look at me. I've, I got this one nailed. The, that anger problem got me, but this one, no problem. If I relegate this to, hey, just don't fight, then I miss the point. And unfortunately, I think it, the point has been missed often. So let's lean into it. Let's, 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 let's let this thing squeeze us a little bit. Remember, Jesus is not teaching about pacifism. He's teaching about righteousness. And that means we can all play. Everybody is invited to this party. Okay? Jesus is teaching about righteousness. He's using Old Testament examples. And the overarching point is this. As followers of Jesus, we are enabled and expected to exhibit real righteousness as Jesus leads us in vital contact with the Holy Spirit. You can't separate that. You can't just jump in on chapter 5 without seeing that Jesus is the, is the one who's come. He is the, John the Baptist said, one who's coming after me, who's mightier than me, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus bringing us into vital contact with the Spirit that enables us to live in this kind of righteousness that Jesus fulfills and invites us to participate in. And that's where you should say amen. amen. Okay, so now, having said that, 
Matthew, again, teaches us what that righteousness looks like. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, here's what it looks like today. Righteousness does not seek to get even, but to give more. Righteousness does not seek to get even, but to give more. Somebody say give more. Give more. <laughs> All right. I'm really feeling a slow-moving mountain in this room today, but... Uh, that's all right. We'll get there. <laughs> all right. Let's start with verse 38. Verse 38. Let's start with this. The idea here of, uh, that Jesus is referring, he's quoting this Old Testament passage. He says, you have heard it, that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This passage uh, Jesus is referring to is, is in Exodus 21, verse 24, Leviticus chapter 24 and verse 20, Deuteronomy 19, verse 21. He's referring to passages like that. This passage originally, it sounds like it's saying the teaching is get even. But actually, it's teaching only get even. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. Moses is actually introducing a law that is a check against carnality. It's actually intended to be a limitation against otherwise human behavior. <laughs> Here's the deal. Uh, an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth, in, in its context meant this, that punishment had to fit the crime and not more so. And, here's another big one, never say and. And it had to be meted out by a judge, by, by a counsel. So it was. So it, it prevented Maxwell from saying, "Eye for an eye." If someone gets me, I'm going to get him right back. And even more so, it prevented Maxwell from overreacting and from taking matters into his own hands. So it's actually once again we see the law is a blessing. It's supposed to be a help. It's supposed to curb this carnality. What kind of carnality do we mean? Well, you know very well what I mean. That human nature is to retaliate when we feel wronged. Oh, thank you. I didn't want to make up, well, not me, bless God. <laughs> we react. We re Now, I know, I know you mean well, but don't be like, so be it. Yep. <laughs> we react either actively or passively and often in greater measure than our perceived offense. You bring harsh words, I bring big stick. You bring big stick, I bring big gun. We, if where's a prop, I'm going to yell louder. And I'll give you a longer silent treatment. I'll avoid you more. I will speak more harshly. I will produce a harsher burn. will utter a more cutting word. The other day, I had the boys in the back seat, or I don't know how many of them were there, but all I remember is chatting with Spencer. And he's in the back seat of the car, and he says, Dad, I, I burned this guy in class today. I burned my friend. I roasted him. I said, you did? Yeah, I roasted him. I got him a good one. I said, well, what did you, what did you say? He said, well, he said, well, he said something to me, and then I said, you ready for it? He, I said, I know you are, but what am I? 
And he, wait, Spencer, and he says, he had no comeback for that. <laughs> I just thought, well, I said, boy, son, that, you got him there. It was, uh, it was original. <laughs> I'm so proud. I got him. See, we, 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 got, we have to have a comeback. There's, and, and, and the more sarcasm or the more snark or the greater condescension, the better. And in church, in church, the more we can lace our abuse with religious language, the better. If I can insult you and footnote a scripture verse, I win. I'm not sure who you've been hanging around with, but you know, bad company corrupts good character. <laughs> Little leaven leavens the whole loaf. Because honestly, if we were going to be candid, we don't really want to, and this is, the, this is the, where the mosaic law comes in, we don't want to get even, we want to win. And win means I am going to hurt you much more than you hurt me. I'm going to win. So this law was intended as a check against all of that. It was supposed to make the scales equal. But, as we have seen over time, different rabbinical schools of thought, different the, the gravity of human nature, eventually this, this law, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, it began to be interpreted and applied differently. The problem is it began to become, instead of a check against excess, it became an endorsement of almost required retaliation. Like, you better get even. Instead of easy, it was get even. And not only that, but not only should you get even, but you should. There was the idea that you should take it to a court, forget about it. It was a license to be an independent vigilante. Take things into your own hands and make sure that you get even, make sure that you stay even. After all, Moses said so. See what they did? Even back then, all they needed to find was some proof text to be a jerk and they would get away with it. So they hijacked this passage, like, passages like this are become something that was hijacked in order to legislate or make legal our desire for retaliation. To justify even our fear of being taken advantage of. Don't want to be taken advantage of, don't want to be taken for granted, so we keep things even. We, we begin to apply this as meaning don't let anyone get one over on you. Don't let the scales become imbalanced against your honor or your time, or your possessions. Protect yourself, defend yourself, withhold, react. All of that is unrighteousness. Let me ask two, two questions before we proceed. How do you know if you are getting even, and why shouldn't you? If the answer to why you are doing something harsh to someone or denying them a kindness is because 
they did something or did not do something toward you. Therefore, you're going to be harsh or withhold a kindness. You are operating in the spirit of get even. Here's the problem with that. Getting even shrinks. When you live by get even, you shrink your life to the size of the negativity you're responding to. Your, you, your life is only as big as the negativity you're responding to. Nobody wants that. Getting even just stirs the pot. It adds kindling to the fire. It aggravates the wound. It increases hostility. It escalates anger. It activates demonic power and grieves the Holy Spirit. That is functional atheism. It's pagan, it's demonic, and it is not righteous. So what's the correction? There's the, prop, there's the text, there's the problem, what's the correction? The correction that Jesus gives is instead of get even, he says give more. Everybody say give more. Now, let me just read this again. Last time, the second time I read it, uh, suddenly Jesus uh, had a New Jersey accent. I don't know where that came from, so I'm going to try to just read it this time. But I want you to hear the words of Jesus again. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn to him, uh, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your, your shirt, let him have the coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to... There we go. There's, and there's the, the, he's concluding. Here's the crescendo. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. It is important, once again, because these things are so familiar, and, I, and, I, and oftentimes when I will talk about this, someone will come up to me and they have this urgent question, and they're afraid because of misapplication or clumsy interpretation, there's, a, there's something that is missing, and they're thinking, oh, no, I'm doing something wrong. And I'll say, no, no, no. That's, don't, that's not what Jesus is leaning into. So we have to listen to what Jesus is teaching. He, he's not giving some new mechanical list of rules for us to follow. He's not, re, he's not inventing something. He is showing us that we, as his disciples, are not attached to this world's system. I'm waiting because I want us to feel that. As his disciples, we are not attached to this world's system, and we are not to be governed by its fears or its hostility. The fear and hostility that governs a world broken from God is not supposed to govern the followers of Jesus. You live by a higher law, a higher rule, a higher reality. You cannot, you must not be governed by lower things. Our honor, our security, even our possessions, none of these things are derived from this world and they cannot be lessened by or affected by this world. So when Jesus says, do not resist an evil person, he is absolutely not saying, let evil have its way. Because this is the same Jesus that went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. This is the same guy when he found the devil beaten up on people, drove the devil out. 
This is the same guy that the Apostle John said that the reason the Son of God was manifest was to destroy the works of the devil. This is not, this is not a passive acceptance of evil or the evil one. This is far more personal. This is Jesus saying to you, do not engage or respond to in the same spirit that the immorality of that person, that immoral person that does something immoral to you, don't respond in kind to them. Do not participate. Do not mirror. Do not partner with that evil. Do not return evil for evil. If you return evil for evil, you have partnered with evil. You've become an ambassador, an emissary, a partner with evil, and that's not you. That's not righteousness. And he continues, the second part of verse 39, <laughs> turn the other cheek. Boy, don't, haven't we heard that one? Haven't, hasn't turn the other cheek been used to justify milk toast? Panty waist, uh, 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 what's that thing called? A doormat, everything else. I mean, it's just been so clumsily applied. Oh, it's a, well, if somebody hits you, well, you should let them hit you again. No, you should not. You should call an adult. <laughs> what is Jesus talking about? Cheek and cheek and stuff. Mercy sakes. The, the, way, the, the, the way the language is, and it's, it, would be, it would be hard and laborious to try to explain it, but with the, with the right hand and the right cheek, here's the deal. For that to happen, I, I would need to slap you with the back of my hand. So if I'm slapping you on the right cheek, that means I would probably be using my right hand and I'm using the back of my hand to do so. So it's a backhanded slap on your cheek. That's, as I realize that just saying that out loud, if you're like me, you're already angry, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean it, like you, right? And that's the whole point. That has been since, since before then and then and now. It's to, if someone were to strike you, even not like harsh, but backhand you with your, their hand on the back of your cheek, that is, is that a, a or B? Is that so much as, oh, I'm physically pained or B, I'm offended and angry. That's the point. It's an insult, not an assault. He's, if, you, if, if someone assaults you, you should do something. First of all, go somewhere else. Call the authorities. Do something. That's not okay. But he's, not, he's saying this is an insult. What? Yeah. A backhanded slap is an insult. Someone has offended your honor. In that day, to do that, it was, it was so offensive, such an insult, that it was almost required or expected that you had to retaliate in somehow. Not necessarily physically, but you had, to, you had to insult their honor, or you had to take them to court, or you had to respond in some... They insulted you. They offended you. You needed to be harsh back. After all, after all eye for an eye. You might say, well, I'm certainly glad that that's not common today, that backhanded. We don't have a lot of people walking around slapping you in the, with the back of their hand. 
Let me just say it this way. What if Jesus would have said, if someone gives you the bird, from our more sanctified crowd, that is the, uh, ex- that is the unkind use of the middle finger. <laughs> if someone gives you an offensive gesture, do not respond in kind. <laughs> so, oy, out, someone said. If, if you're driving and someone offensively honks their horn at you. <laughs> if someone gives you a cutting remark or you have been, brace yourself, skewered on social media. If someone says, I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> what is Jesus saying? Here's the deal. He's saying, when he says, turn the other cheek, he, he, as in, your insult does not affect me. I am not moved. I am not controlled by. I am not compelled to react to your insult. I do not have to be offended. You do not have to be offended. Your joy in the Lord is not that fragile. The joy of the Lord is my strength unless you honk your horn at me. (laughs) Then your joy needs some spinach. (laughs) You might try a high-protein joy. As a follower of Jesus... I am to be so consumed with Jesus' loving approval of my life that your insult cannot become a greater influence than His Lordship. Jesus is Lord of my life. He's governing my life. But they said something mean. So I'm going to abandon my discipleship and act like the devil. I hear you saying no. I'm not trying to. It was an example. I'm not trying to persuade you. So I literally get the. Here's the image. I literally turn away from that insult as if it did not happen. Even if it means exposing myself to another insult. I'm that unoffendable. I'm that governed by a different realm. That much better. Much harder. Hmm. I don't know. I think I saw some Westerner someone that said, I only got two cheeks, brother. You got one, and you get one more cheek, and then I'm going to get you. That's a... That's just not how it works. Verse 40. Jesus said, if someone sues to take your shirt, let them have your 
coat. Here in that day, the inner garment, the tunic, was uh, less valuable than the outer garment. The inner garment you wore and you kept it close, but that thing could be sued in court. You could give it as a collateral. You do all kinds of things with that thing. But the coat, you might remember in some places, if you've read your Bible and other places, or even in Proverbs, the wisdom literature, it really warns against, you, you're not supposed to take the coat. And then it even says, if you've taken someone's coat and collateral, you better give that back to them before the end of the day. Have you read that? You've seen that? That's, it's very common in the Old Testament. Why? Because the outer garment was more valuable. And by law, by Jewish law, you could not force someone to give up their outer garment. It was valuable. It kept them warm at night, all that kind of thing. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, love is above the law. Love will go beyond what is even required. Love is, uh, the, the follower of Jesus is so satisfied, so secure that God is their source. They are unafraid. Even with the law prohibits you from doing something to me, I love you. See, here's the thing. I love you enough. Love liberates me from your oppression. You, are, you can't steal from me if I'm going to give to you. Why would I do that? Because God is my source. I'm not afraid. As a disciple of Jesus, I have no fear of lack or loss. And I will not engage in some sort of fear-based tug-of-war. Verse 41, the same kind of thing, but it goes further. Verse 41, Jesus says, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. What that has become quite of a, 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 a pretty good euphemism. It's actually pretty well applied. What's that? What does it mean to go, uh, go with them too? We say go the, go the extra mile. And we, that's a pretty common phrase. Everybody say go the extra mile. That's actually really a really good interpretation, but, it's, but the reason for it is even cooler. Now, wh why does Jesus say if someone forces you to go one mile? Well, Roman officers or Roman soldiers could force a citizen, a Jewish citizen, to carry their gear, their stuff. And they could compel them to carry them. And over time, of course, with Jesus, because Jesus says one mile, over time, somewhere, somehow, people have said that, oh, yeah, the, the law was you could, that you could only make them go one mile. You could only make them carry it one mile. Uh, but... Unfortunately or fortunately, we, there is actually no evidence of that law anywhere to restrict it to a mile. So once again, Jesus is speaking metaphorically about this. He's saying, if they force you to go a mile, go another one. Love, again, love liberates you from being oppressed. Love says, you're, if you're going to force me to go something, I'm going to, I'm going to walk in love. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself right, which is the fulfillment of a law, I'm going to do what's righteous. I'll go, I'll go above and beyond what you're asking, and that actually liberates me from your oppression. And instead of you forcing me to do something, I'm doing something kind for you. It's as if these people that are followers of Jesus are from a whole other world. It's as if they're lights and witnesses to a whole other reality. Verse 42, give to the person who asks and lend, lend without fear. Okay, time out. I was okay with cheeks and coats, Jesus, but now you're talking about my money. My money. 
Yep. Apparently, righteousness liberates our wallets as well as lowers our fists. Now, Jesus is not teaching us to be indiscriminate with our money. That would be counter, counterintuitive. It would be against so much of what Scripture teaches us about, about being wise and being good stewards and all of these things and being cautious. And he certainly isn't licensing anyone to become a mooch. Well, I got, Jesus said, you got to give it to me, so I'm asking. <laughs> you know, they got those apps on your phone, cash apps, Venmo, that kind of thing. You can send, you can give people money. You can actually ask people for money with those apps. Yeah, I've done it. <laughs> yeah, I experiment. Over, I, I have asked a certain unnamed person to whom I may be married. I've, exper- I've experimented over and over. I kept asking Mrs. Dab for $10, and I kept getting declined. <laughs> and seriously, the other day I tried it again, and the app said, Mrs. Dab has declined you too much. Basically, stop, stop begging her for money. She's not giving it to you. <laughs> well, now I got Bible. Now she has to right there. <laughs> No. Jesus is saying that we should hold on to what is ours with a a loose grip and be unafraid and be willing to lend. Unafraid to give, willing to lend because God is our source and he cannot be outgiven. If you are approached by someone you know of to be in genuine need and Here's the thing, you choose not to help them out of a fear of lack or a fear of having less than others or you just aren't willing to have less in order to help more, then you have no real faith. Generosity is one of the greatest expressions of real righteousness knowing that God is my source. And this passage, that little part right there, verse 42, really is, and I think Matthew is editing this on purpose, that is the preview or the hint to Jesus' final example of righteousness, which is the example of our Heavenly Father, who is generous to those who are even unkind to Him. We'll talk about that next week. Again, Jesus is emphasizing that we, as his followers, are not attached, we're not governed by this world system. Our honor and our security is not derived from this world system. Therefore, you and I don't get even, we give more. Paul echoes this sentiment. Listen to Paul's uh, epistolary echo of Jesus' teaching here. In Romans chapter 12, in verse 17, here's Paul. Never pay back evil for evil. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved. Leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. 
And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. That doesn't mean you're going to cause him harm. You will ex- by being kind in the face of hostility, you will expose the empty foolishness of that hostility. Finally, verse 21 is the big summary. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When we look at what Jesus has said about not resisting an evil person and the warning there and what Paul is saying about don't take revenge, make room for the wrath of God. Make room for the wrath of God. First of all, that sounds pretty scary. But here's the, here's the thing. When you and I take revenge for insult or affront, being if it's a finger or a horn or whatever else, when I, or, or a, just an offense, when I take that revenge into my own hands, I effectively remove myself from God's economy. God has promised to be your defender. God has promised to, to have justice meted out. As a matter of fact, the promise of God is <clears throat> wrath. But when I take things into my own hands, I exclude, God, I exclude myself from God's economy. And I engage in tit for tat and harsh for harsh and hard for hard and rude for rude and affront for affront and insult for insult. And I, and I become part of an evil system. I activate those kind of spirits and I partner with them. And in so doing, I grieve the Holy Spirit. So I don't. I I will not take myself out of God's economy. I will not respond to your evil with more evil. I will not get even. I will give more. Now, here's a caveat. I want to make sure this is important. I do believe 100% that we should stand up for others' honor. He's talking to me. If God bless you. If Jay were to insult or offend me, Jesus is saying, I should not take up that spirit and then respond in kind. But if, if someone goes after my wife or my children or my friends or any of you, I don't know if you heard me, any of you, then you have to deal with me. Jesus is not saying don't resist evil in general. Because this is the Jesus who who, who got anointed with the Holy Spirit and power and went about delivering, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. This is the Jesus who John said the reason why the Son of God was manifest was to destroy the works of the devil. Destroy the works of the devil. In other words, Jesus comes in between the the oppression and the oppressed, or the oppressor and the oppressed. That's a good model. You very well may be heaven's agent to intercede for, to stand up for, to speak up for those who cannot or should not do it themselves. But person to person. See, Jesus... Jesus went after those who oppressed or harmed those who cared for. But when they came at him, he said nothing. 
They insulted him or accused him. He did not respond in kind. Leave that for God. Let me just close with just reminding us now, just the implications. I like to just say, all right, what are the, what are the implications for righteousness here? Righteousness does not get even, it gives more. Paul has already told us every week we look at this. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And the, and the other commandments are summed up in this one decree, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. If I love my neighbor as myself, then I do not see others as rivals, as adversaries, as out to get me or out to get one up on me or to get one over on me or to take from me. If I love my neighbor as myself, I do not see my neighbor as someone that I should smite or sue or compel to serve me. They are not there for my gain. Righteousness does not reflect the world around it. It is not a righteousness does not mirror, reflect, respond to the world around it. Righteousness does not engage that when it when righteousness meets meanness, it does not return meanness. When it meets harshness, it does not return harshness. When it meets uh, an, an ungenerousness, it doesn't respond with with a scrooginess. It does not mirror or re reflect the world around it. Righteousness is not a thermometer that adjusts to whatever climate it enters. Righteousness is a thermostat that sets and affects the environment around it according to its own internal standards. Righteousness says, this is who I am because I'm a follower of Jesus, and I will respond to you or I will initiate toward you according to what God is doing in my life. So if you are unkind toward me, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be kind toward you. If there is, I will be generous, I will be kind, I will be encouraging, not based upon what I perceive from you, but based on what I have received from God. Righteousness does not react, it overcomes. As we wrap this up, just think for a moment about, think about the relationships, the homes, partnerships, businesses, churches. Think about the human relationships that have blown up, crumbled, suffered, because get even was the law instead of give more. And instead, think of the peace. Think of the freedom. Think of the good. Think of the kindness that would come from not getting even, but just giving more. That's real righteousness. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. You know our best example of not getting even, but giving more? You know it. God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
All human nature, all human beings have, have entered into moral rebellion and offended the heart of God with their unrighteousness. Every one of us. And what was God's response? Get even? Give more. For God so loved this world, even in its carnality and its harshness and its rebellion, God so loved this world that he gave his only son. That whosoever would believe on him would not perish, would not get what they deserved, would not be gotten even with, but would receive eternal life. God is our example of not getting even, but giving more. He solves the sin problem by giving more. He overcomes our rebellion and our darkness by giving more. here today and you're a sinner and you need to be saved, that's what you need to say. Jesus, save me from my sin. Save me from my sin and be my Lord. I repent of my sin. I turn away from the junk and the nonsense. I don't think I need to tell anybody what their sin is. You know. Repent of it. Lord, I turn away from sin. Jesus, save me from my sin and be my Lord. That's a good prayer to pray. We just prayed out loud with me, everybody. Jesus, save me from my sin and be my Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all of that. Now, for everybody in the room, let me just say this. Think about it for a moment before you go. If you're carrying around a chip on your shoulder, maybe you've got a whole drawer full of different chips and you just exchange them. You're carrying around a chip on your shoulder. If you walk around with your dukes halfway raised up, you need to repent. You need to get out of that cycle of getting even. You just walk in the righteousness that Jesus calls you and supplies for you and empowers you. To be followers of Jesus. stand together. Aaron's going to lead us again in that chorus. Righteousness. Righteousness.